Messi's into the final. Croatia bows out as the Argentines book a spot at redemption in a World Cup final. We'll break that all down for you and take a look at Morocco and France's match, which is coming up. This is the Optus Sport Football Podcast. Let's get into the Gagan Posh. Well, today I'm joined by former Socceroo Tommy Orr, who might have made 28 appearances for the Socceroos and been part of the 2014 World Cup squad. But when I went digging for trash today, I found out he is so popular, he's made his Instagram account private, (laughs) which means no one can stalk him anymore. Welcome, Tommy. It's a pleasure. Thank you. (laughs) And of the sport journalist Jack Austin, who I did find out the only tie to Argentina Jack has is the fact that he was born in Wales and the only place they speak Welsh outside of Wales is actually in Patagonia, Argentina. Jackie, welcome. I'm going to say that's about as close to Messi as you're going to get, mate. Dioch, <laughs> dioch. <laughs> right. That's okay. Welsh for thank you. <laughs> okay, very good. Well, Argentina, of course, keeping the dream alive this morning. Messi's miracle still likely, and Croatia now forced to play off for third. I should also mention we will, uh, of course, hear from Mark Schwartzer. He loves to chime in on our conversations too. The final score 3 0. Uh, a shot at redemption for both the 2018 and 2014 World Cup runners up was on the cards this morning. Tommy, did this match go how you thought it would? Yeah, it was difficult beforehand. I mean, um, Croatia is always a sticky opponent. You never really know what you're going to get. But I, I did think that um, Argentina was going to be a little bit too strong in this game. Obviously, I tipped them to win the tournament, so of course I thought that. But yeah, I thought the dynamics of the game was interesting because the first kind of 20, 25 minutes, you know, Croatia started really well. They had a lot of the possession. They didn't create too much, but it was a pretty cagey game. And the first penalty that Argentina won kind of changed the whole game. And obviously, they ran away from it with it from there and played really well but I think that was the real turning point of the game yeah I think it's a it's a great example of built how a team builds into a tournament obviously they Argentina started pretty poorly with that surprise loss to uh to Saudi Arabia but they every game now they're looking more and more confident and I think against in the last two against the Netherlands and Australia they started very well and then faded towards the end of the 90 whereas today they just kept going scored a third and yeah I think I think that they're growing into the tournament really well. And it's a pretty uh, tough sign if you're France or Morocco uh, having to come up against them in, in the final. But one step at a time for them. They look like they're building towards something special, don't they? Messi, of course, scored a penalty. And what a penalty it was, taking the back of the net. Well, it went flying, didn't it? He absolutely belted it away. It takes him to five World Cup goals this campaign. That puts him equal with Mbappe. Of course, Mbappe's still playing probably tomorrow for France, one would think. Um, He also goes to 11 goals overall in a World Cup. That's one clear of Gabriel Batistuta as Argentina's all-time goal scorer at World Cups. Will he go on to win the golden boot? I tipped him to do it, so I'm hoping so. But um, no, I I mean, I think his his influence on this Argentina team is more than just goals. And you mentioned the goals he has scored, and obviously he's scored important goals his whole career and in this tournament as well. But I think it's his, you know, his over overall influence. You saw with the third goal Argentina scored today. I mean, that Gvardiol from Croatia, he's probably been one of the best players of the tournament so far. And um, Messi probably doesn't have the pace that he used to have, but he just dribbled past him five times instead of just the once that he used to. So, I mean, the way that, you know, that assist that he got for Alvarez in that goal, in that goal and just his overall kind of build-up play was phenomenal. And 
they are very reliant on him. And I think that's the thing with Messi is obviously it's the goal scoring, but it's it's also so much more than that. Yeah, I think he, I think there'll be a few chief executives around uh, the world saying thank you very much for Messi because I think he just knocked off about half of Guardiola's transfer uh, value after that performance. <laughs> yes, well, the little magician was certainly immense again tonight. Uh, Tommy, you touched on when he flew down the right-hand side for that assist and just made it, he actually looked like he had pace then, by the way, so he just made it look really, really easy. Schwartz, I'll bring you in here because I'd like to hear what you think makes him so important to Argentina. Yeah, Messi was brilliant again. Um, everything, every time he gets the ball, he, you just there's, there's a fear, and certainly in the opposition, that something's going to happen, that something's going to be created. It's almost impossible to get the ball off. He's so silky, so elegant, just glides past people. Almost impossible to get the ball off him. Uh, we saw Josco Guardiol really struggle tonight. Um, it was his first real, real big challenge, I thought. Um, <clears throat> certainly against an individual who's absolutely world-class. Yes, Brazil was a challenge, but a lot of the Brazilians were off, off the pace, whereas Messi is very rarely off the pace, and, and today he was right on point again. But interestingly, you know, watching Messi at times, he's very conservative and... and when he makes his move, how much effort he puts in, certainly out of possession. Um, and then he just walks. But part of the difficulty, I suppose, of marking him is when he starts to walk, people almost switch off from him a little bit. And he just drifts into little pockets and little spaces. And he always seems to be in the right place at the right time to pick the ball up. Um, it's a combination of things of being clever, knowing where to be at the right time, but also his teammates knowing what Messi does and how he moves around the park. Um, so he's huge for Argentina, as we all know, um, because he can create something from nothing like he did with the third goal for, for Alvarez. It was almost something from nothing. And um, that's the danger. How do you control? How do you stop someone of that level, someone of that quality from hurting you? And it's very, very tough, very difficult. And uh, certainly Croatia had no answer to him tonight. Well, all of you have mentioned uh, Alvarez, of course. Have you been impressed just tonight or this or this morning or this uh, whole campaign? He's always been a phenomenal talent. I think if you look at the first kind of months in of this Premier League season going into the World Cup, obviously Haaland's kind of stolen the show uh, with Man City. But every time Alvarez comes on, he's looked so lively and dangerous. And, I mean, obviously Martinez was, was playing at the start of this tournament as the striker for, for Argentina, and he lost his spot to Alvarez. And... I think Alvarez has been phenomenal since he came in here. He has a lot of energy and he kind of, you know, Messi, he's famously walking a lot in these games and he probably doesn't have the mobility um, that he used to have and he's not kind of making those runs in behind that he used to. And I think that Alvarez is doing that and it's kind of making him the perfect foil for Messi, you know. If um, if the defenders get really tight on Messi, then Alvarez is running in behind, um, you know, and giving them a completely different thing to think about. And I think that's kind of what you saw. For the uh for the for the penalty that Alvarez won in the, for the first goal, you know, um the the centre back stepped in on Messi, but it was Alvarez's run behind that kind of uh, was another threat, and I think that it's the kind of they're perfect foils for each other, and obviously it's easy to forget that he's only twenty two, so I think that Argentina has a really good player on their ranks for the next you know ten years plus, and that's really exciting for them. Yeah, there's a, after he scored that first goal, there was a, a great viral picture uh, going around on social media of him meeting Messi as a young boy. I think he was five years old when Messi made his Argentinian debut. So uh, it must be amazing for him to have this idol growing up and now being assisted by him at a World Cup semi-final. Uh, I think he scored seven goals in eight starts for Argentina. It's actually crazy to think that he 
struggles to start at club level. I mean, admittedly, it's behind Erling Haaland, but yeah, at a snip for 14, 14 million pounds, I think they paid for him. Yeah. It looks like an absolute bargain. Well, let me ask that question. Does he deserve to play more at City? Well, I mean, Haaland's probably the best player in the world, <laughs> you could argue now, and I think that it's hard for Alvarez, but I, I can't see him being content with sitting on the bench, um, you know, after this tournament. So I think that if City doesn't find a way to kind of include him or give him more minutes, then he might be looking to, to move on kind of soon because, you know, he's one of the most exciting talents in the world and probably wants to be playing. Yeah, I think I think Guardia has started him alongside Haaland in a few a few games, even a few big games, I think. So he's obviously got a plan for him. Um, you never know. This could be the return of the the four four two. You know, Pep Guardiola is a great innovator. <laughs> if this is the the start of what a four four two coming back could be, we never know. I mean, you couldn't do it with two better strikers, could you? At the moment, young strikers, anyway. Yeah, it's pretty amazing the talent coming through. Schwartzy, what did you think about the city youngster? I thought uh, Julian Alvarez was excellent again today. Um, <clears throat> every game I've seen him play at this World Cup, his work rate is off the charts. He's hustling, harassing the opponents, his first rate, and <clears throat> obviously does a lot, a lot of work. Sort of almost does a bit of Messi's work because we, you know, we see Messi off the ball. Very rarely does any real work to try and win it back. Does a, a kind of a <clears throat> an attempted effort to to close down unless the ball's really close and there's enough players around in the proximity that's when Messi pounces other than that it's Julian Alvarez who's doing all the work it's great to see him tonight I mean the, the first goal he scored was just typical of the way he's been playing he pretty much steamrolled his way through yes got a little bit lucky with a couple of ricochets but uh, were you know in the end it was because of his determination his grit and his work ethic that he got that goal <clears throat> and of course the second goal he scored tonight was because of the brilliance of Messi and just being in the right place at the right time. Question is, you know, should he be playing more often for City? Um, it's tough, isn't it? I mean, we're talking about uh, uh, Haaland there. You know, who's going to play ahead of Haaland? Oh, look, he's still very young. If they go away and win the World Cup now, um, come away with the World Cup from Qatar, it's, it's a tough one, isn't it, to to leave a world champion who played all the time for Argentina this World Cup to to not even get a starting sp- uh, position in his club team. That's pretty harsh, isn't it? But like I said, still got Haaland in front of you and I think he's still got a lot to do to try and catch up or match um, what Haaland can do in front of goal. Well, let's talk about some of the um, some of the changes that were made or some of the things that were said about this game moving into it. Uh, bringing on Paulo Dybala for his first appearance in Qatar was quite a power play. Yeah, I, I actually completely forgot he was even in Qatar, to be honest, until uh, <laughs> until he came on, uh, which is scary to think of. They've just got such a huge strength in depth. I think now they've played, every single one of their outfield players has played at this World Cup. And I think, yeah, bringing on Dybala, Correa and um, Foyth, who are all pretty big names who hadn't played up to this point. It just shows how strong they are throughout the squad. Um, yeah, I think... They're, they're a lot. A lot of them are all similar types of players as well. They'll all run themselves into the ground, do whatever they can, uh, and then all surround this one supremely talented player, which is obviously Messi. And they're very smart players as well. Um, they're all masters of the dark arts in a sense. I mean, they're players that you love to hate. Uh, if you're, they're on your side, you know you love them. If they're not, yeah. Um, but you got Martinez, uh, DePaul, Acuna, Otamendi, Paredes. 
they'll all put their bodies on the line. Yeah, I think there was one period where I think it was at 2-0 up where Croatia were just firing shots in from outside the area and each and every one of them just threw their bodies at it. And that's the sort of commitment that these guys have got to winning a World Cup and making sure that Messi finally wins a World Cup as well. Yeah, I mean, you just touched on it, but having the luxury of bringing on the likes of Dybala for the first time in a tournament in a semi-final is, I mean, yeah, that's why they are where they are. And um, I mean, they are very reliant on Messi still, but they have so many players, you know, at the the still world class, you know, in the top 20, 30 players in the world. But um, yeah, I think that what's interesting is, you know, those players that hadn't played in this tournament, they gave them the, the match time today. In the final, you don't know what's going to happen. They might need Dybala to come off the bench and make a difference in the final. So I think that was also important today to give him that first kind of injection in the tournament because you don't want to be making your first appearance in the tournament in a final. So I think that there was also maybe one eye on the final, you know, when they were when they went three goals up to to say, well, we don't know what's going to happen in the next game. We want everyone to be ready. It's also a lovely a team building moment and a culture moment, Tommy, because it makes everyone feel like they're really invested in part of the process moving forward, whether they play from here on in or not, um, that you really are part of what actually happened out there on the pitch. I want to touch on something that Nicholas Otamendi said after the game. He said, quote, we are 26 warriors who are willing to fight for the people. Is that what makes this team unstoppable? I think they do. You know, all the players wear their heart on their sleeve. And I think Jack just touched on it, you know, the way that they throw themselves at the ball, the defenders, and the way all the strikers, they press and they, they play with so much energy. Uh, obviously, Messi being a little bit the exception. But that that's how Argentina's always played, and that's how this team definitely plays. And I think that the coach has done really well to galvanise that. You know, he, he's set them up to play to their strength so that that kind of wearing your heart on your sleeve and playing with that emotion is effective. Uh, we, we talked about Arnie doing that with the Socceroos, making sure that we played to our strengths um, or setting us up so that our strengths can be effective. And I think that's exactly what he's done with Argentina as well. And I think that, you know, this this is a much more um, balanced Argentina team than we've seen historically. And I think that we used to see, you know, they, they would try and find a way to fit all their amazing attacking talent into the lineup and they would concede too many goals. And I think that in this tournament, we've seen them be a little bit more pragmatic um, and not try and fit all their star-studded attacking players into the lineup, and it's been much more effective for them. Yeah, I think um, doing it for on those Nicolas Otamendi quotes, fighting for the people, um, you go to Argentina, and obviously I think a lot of these players aren't from particularly uh, wealthy backgrounds, so football is really all they've got. That's how they've got out of these um, lesser... Like more impoverished areas, and um, obviously become and made a made something of their lives for themselves, for their families, for their friends. So football really is everything in that country, and fighting for them, for the people who weren't so fortunate to become footballers, is really something that this Argentina team is all about. And it's all about the togetherness. All of them, all the outfield players playing, um, will just add to that togetherness as a squad. I think. Um, well, Tommy, you might be able to speak this better than I could, but at a World Cup, if you're a player who's not got onto the pitch, you might be left with some sort of feeling of disgruntlement, perhaps, but that's just not going to be present now going into the final. Yeah, I, I mean, I touched on this last week, um, you know, talking about the Asian Cup and um, when, when to, in 2015 when the Socceroos won it and I only came onto the field for 10 minutes or something, 15 minutes in the whole tournament. And yeah, I mean... 
there was a couple of players that didn't get on at all. So I was, I still, um, because I got on the field, I did feel like I was part of it. And I think that, you know, obviously it's, it's you win and you lose all together and, you know, you're playing as a team, but you can't help but feel frustrated sometimes if you're not playing, that's just the nature of football. But, you know, in, in order just to get those, you know, brief moments on the pitch, which happened to me in the Asian Cup, it definitely made me feel more involved and in being a part of winning it than I would have otherwise, that's for sure. You feel like you earned it, Tommy, don't you? Exactly. Even though I, I don't, I think I don't, nothing happened when I was on the field. We didn't score or concede a goal, but I'll still claim it. <laughs> I, I was reading today your XG is like 1.41. I didn't think that was too bad. When was that? Oh, somewhere on the internet when I was stalking you, you know, looking for your <laughs> Instagram handle that's now private. Tommy, you're 91 in case anyone wants to uh, follow Tommy. Anyway, uh, let's get back to the game. There was a moment uh, in a, around the 60th minute mark where um, Argentina's tactics changed. They moved, They were 2-0 up um, and they moved to a back five. What did you make of the mindset behind that? Yeah, no, I think that was probably a response to how they played in the last two games. I mentioned it briefly earlier, how they went 2-0 up against uh, Australia, they went 2-0 up against the Netherlands, and then both times they sort of took their foot off the gas and you know let their opponents get back into it. Obviously, they got away with it against Australia. Against the Netherlands, they had to go all the way to penalties, and you know it could have cost them the tournament. And I think this was probably their fail-safe against that today and thought, you know what? These are the 120-minute men that they're playing against, the ones that have been do, playing more minutes than any other team in the tournament so far. So these guys are fit enough to keep going. So we really need to do something to stop that. And they have a Croatia obviously have a sensational record when it comes to extra time and penalties as well. So you didn't want to get there. So it's a bit of a, uh, a learning from the past two games and also a defence mechanism uh, for the next one, Tommy. Yeah, I think that, you know, they've done it throughout this whole tournament, like Jack, Jack just mentioned. And they did it also, I remember, in the Copa America, which they went on to win. And I think that that kind of highlights the, taxi, the tactical sorry, flexibility that they have. And obviously, we just touched on the, the times where it hasn't been successful in the last few matches, and it's probably come back to bite them, you know, changing the tactics during the game like that. But historically, if you're looking at a bigger picture, they've, they've constantly changed from a four to the five at the back for the last you know, two or three years. So, I mean, bringing on the likes of Martinez as well, we all know, we've seen from Manchester United how good of a defender he is and just having that extra number back there, I think makes a big difference as well because, you know, they're not, Argentina's defence isn't the biggest physically and I think that big target man number nine is something that they kind of struggle with. So I think that's maybe a little bit what they're thinking as well is having that extra defender in and around the box can be a good way to kind of counter um, coming up against that kind of opponent. But you know, letting the other team, you know, attack and have the ball will also play into their hands on the counter-attack because they're bringing on the likes of Dybala today and these kind of fast players. Martinez didn't get on today, but in previous games. And, you know, the counter-attacking game suits them. So I think that, you know, Argentina, that they, they're, they're so well-drilled. When they're leading a game, going to a back five is something that kind of changes the, the, the way the game's going to unfold and plays into their hands a bit. So let's flip to Croatia, um, Argentina obviously marching on, Croatia bowing out now, having to play off uh, for third. They only conceded three goals all tournament and then copped three this morning. So did they get their tactical approach wrong or were they just outclassed? I think it could be down to the, the tired legs in the end. You know, a lot of these guys are over 30 years old, many 35 or above. Um, I think after playing 
two back-to-back games, 120 minutes plus penalties. Emotionally, psychologically, physically, that really does take it out of you. And coming up against the team who are just relentless in everything they do, it would have just sapped the energy out of them immediately. And especially going down to two goals the way they did. Um, I think, yeah, that they just sort of ran out of steam at the end, which is completely understandable considering the tournament they've had. And what about you, Mark? What did you make of Croatia? Yeah, Croatia looked like they're on their knees. But I think also it was the way that Argentina set up and the way that Argentina played. They look to smother teams. They give them no time on the ball. They hustle. They harass. And I think, yes, slightly tired legs, but also the fact that you know, Argentina was so aggressive on the front foot and just Croatia found it difficult. I mean, Kovacic never really got in the game. Brozovic um, struggled as well. <clears throat> and, you know, he obviously got his off injured as well. So that obviously didn't help their cause. And Modric really was ineffective. Um, and I think today was the, the, the real moment where you could see how ineffective they were up front. Um, Kramovic looks to try and get in the pockets, looks to try and, you know, be in the right position to try and lay the ball off, um, try and be on that. He hasn't got the pace to get in behind people. He has to be a little bit more creative and he's not quite at that level. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, at times you could see it with his teammates, how frustrated they were with him. Um, so, yeah, Croatia, midfield, actually all over the park, you know, as Josip uh, Guardiola really struggled tonight to deal with Messi, but he wouldn't be the first nor the last to do so. Um, but I think it was a real eye-opener for him personally to see what it takes to be at that very highest level, to be absolutely world-class and take on one of the best players on the planet. Um, and uh, I think it was just that one game too too far for Croatia. So, Tommy, off the back of that, Modric was top class again tonight, but will most likely not feature on the world stage again. That's a pretty big headline. Is this the end of Croatia's World Cup window or where do they go from here? Well, I think if looking before this tournament, I probably thought that the ship had already sailed for them before the tournament. I thought that, you know, looking at them four years ago, they had a lot more players in their peak and, you know, I think that the, the, the issue for them in this tournament was their front three. I think that, you know, historically they've had such a, a potent front three and they've still got the world-class midfielders and obviously Modric is central to that. But I think the front th- three and, you know, today I can't really remember too many clear-cut chances that they created and I think that's probably the one position that's let them down in this tournament. But it is going to be interesting because, you know, you got you got the likes of Modric and Brozovic and, you know, the, the beating heart of their team. Uh, probably Lovren as well. This is probably their last World Cup. And um, obviously in the likes of Guardiol, who we touched on before, they've got a few, you know, ready replacements who are world-class, but I'm not sure that they have players, um, you know, there's only one Luka Modric. And if for him to, to leave the Croatian national team, I think that will leave a bit of a hole. And it's not only his quality, but also his kind of leadership qualities in the team. You can see that when they're under the pump, they give him the ball. He, he, you know, he'll change the, the point of attack and then he'll sprint across the field and get the ball. He's everywhere. And I think that it, it's almost impossible to replace that. So I definitely can see a little bit of a uh, changing of the guard and a transition period coming up for Croatia, potentially. Yeah, Croatia, you got to remember, Croatia, I think, were the fourth smallest nation in this tournament. I think only Uruguay, Wales and Qatar have a smaller population. Uh, they continually punch above their weight. I mean... They've been to, what, three World Cup semifinals now in the last 24 years. They're a country that keep 
surprising us and they surprised again this time and I think they'll keep surprising us beyond this year as well um, I think in 98 we thought that was their golden generation in 2018 we thought that was their golden generation now they've got a semi-final and I wouldn't be surprised if in 4, 8, 12 years time they're back there again the way that they keep producing players I think 16 of the 26 from this World Cup squad came from the same club uh, they all went through the Dinamo Zagreb Academy. Um, so they all know how to play the same way. Other clubs in the country now are following the same model. So they're all going to have similar players of similar mentalities, knowing how to play the similar style of football coming through. So I think they're always going to have this same identity. And therefore, I think that while the headline names, your Modric's, your Brozovic's, et cetera, et cetera, are not going to be there in four years' time, I think the still core of that team in terms of how they play, will be. was the uh, LM10 battle today, wasn't it? Uh, Luka Modric and, and Lionel Messi, and it was the Messi that marches on towards the final. Don't go anywhere. We will be back after this short break to look ahead to tomorrow's semi-final. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, welcome back to the Gagan Pod. Argentina have booked their spot in the World Cup final. Who will their opponent be? Well, it will be either one of Morocco or France. But we have talked so much, Tommy Orr and Jack Austin, about Morocco's defensive resilience this World Cup, only conceding a single goal, and that was an own goal, against Canada. Will they be able to hold out the French? It's going to be interesting. I think that's the big question because, um, you know, obviously the likes of Mbappe and Griezmann have been, you know, scintillating in their last games and... Um, I think the, the, the battle from Hakimi against Mbappe on that side of the pitch is going to be really interesting. Obviously, they're, they're two kind of club mates and really good friends as well, and they're, they're probably the two talisman for both of their teams. That's going to be a really interesting matchup. But, I mean, for me, the, the big question is if, if France do score and, you know, looking at the talent they have on the pitch, you, you would back them to score. Where does Morocco go from there? Because... You know, falling behind, you know, we've talked about how well Morocco soaks up the pressure and how defensively resilient they are. But if France does score early or score in the first half, say, then Morocco is going to have to open up and their game plan is almost out the window. They're going to have to, you know, leave themselves much more exposed and, you know, throw caution to the wind. And that will only play into France's hands. So I think the first, the longer the game goes on, the better, uh, without a goal, I think the better chance Morocco has. But um, you know, in the in the last couple of games, I have tipped Morocco to lose against Spain and Portugal. So, every you know, it wouldn't surprise me if I'm wrong again. But I do think that France will have too much quality in this one. Jack, do you give them any chance? Uh, I haven't in the last five games they've played. So uh, <laughs> I'm going to say no again. But I've again I've been proved wrong in all those games. So it wouldn't surprise me if I'm proved wrong again. I don't think I've got a single prediction right in this World Cup. So <laughs> don't take anything I say too seriously. But um, 
No, I think I think I actually do think it'll be a tight game. I think Tommy's spot on. The longer the game goes on, the more nervous the French will get, and the more it will play into Morocco's hands. But surely this is where France really step forward and surely Morocco can't knock out another top tier European nation sure what a story it would be what a story it's been already but surely they're not going to do one more well someone they will have been working hard to work out what to do with will be Kylian Mbappe of course his scoring numbers have been largely dominating the talk around the French he's equal top goal scorer for the tournament so far with a game up his sleeve but who else has impressed you in the French squad for me, it's Griezmann. I think that, you know, everyone was talking about his limited game time going into this tournament because of the, the contractual situation at his club. But, you know, he, everyone knows what a world-class player he is. And probably since he's transferred to Barcelona, that didn't quite work out as well as he would have liked. Um, he was still fantastic, obviously, in moments. But, you know, he's kind of gone off the boil a little bit in terms of people putting him in the top echelon of players in the world. Um, but I think this tournament, he's been sensational and... You know, they obviously have two of maybe the most direct, you know, fast wingers in the world in, in Mbappe and Dembele. But, you know, every run they make, Griezmann gets them the ball. He, he finds he finds the angle, he finds a way to get the ball, to play them in behind. And I think that he's such an important part of that French attack. And, you know, I think if you take him out, he's probably one of the, the him and Mbappe are probably two of the only players you can't replace in that team. So I think that he's he's one I'm looking forward to watching tomorrow again. Yeah, completely agree. I think he's been, aside from Messi, probably been the best player of the tournament so far for me. Uh, I think what's amazing is that he's been a world-class left winger, a world-class right winger, a world-class centre forward, and now he's this world-class deep playmaker that he had never played this position before, and he was almost coming in as the solution to France's injury crisis. You know, the Pogba out injured, Kante out injured, they really had that hole in the middle that needed filling and he's just come in, done the dirty work and just made it look effortless. Um, you know, at uh, Atletico Madrid, he's a Diego Simeone player. He does the dirty work that no one wants to do and that's why he's done so well there. And I think that work ethic he's brought into the French national team and that's why, even though he's not scoring the goals as he did in 2018 and 2016, he's still putting in those top two performances. Let's talk about the coaches for a moment. If Deschamps manages to beat Morocco and then go on to win back-to-back World Cups, where will he rank in the greatest ever manager discussions? Well, he has to be in the discussion. I mean, you know, winning... Just in there, Tommy, not at the top. Well, I mean, it's, you know, there's a lot of fantastic managers that haven't coached in international football. So, you know, I guess, you know, Guardiola, these types of managers, but... In terms of international managers, then you'd have to put him at the top because, yeah, obviously he's had the players to, to to be successful, but so have a lot of managers historically, and they haven't done it. And you know, I think the thing is, is the players won the World Cup four years ago, finding a way to not motivate them because, of course, you're you're always motivated to in a World Cup, but finding a way to to keep it fresh and to keep them on their toes and you know not resting on their laurels for this tournament. I mean, hats off to him because that, that takes, um, you know, world-class kind of managerial skills. And he, obviously he's got good people or good uh, good personality and uh, the players have good respect for him because they obviously as well, people forget before the World Cup, their year leading into this tournament was an absolute disaster. So the way that he's been able to turn it around and, you know, make them play the way they have in this tournament has been 
fantastic and for sure I think that if they did go on to win the World Cup, I think he would probably be the top for the international managers. Yeah, I'd have to agree. I think in terms of international managers, it's completely different to club football. Club football obviously is very heavily tactical based. Um, whereas I think in international football, you get your players for such a short period of time that it's really how to motivate them, how to keep them motivated, how to keep them happy. And then you really earn your money in your changes in the game, uh, how you react to substitutions, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that for him to take a World Cup winning squad who, like Tommy said, have been going through a rough time in the last 12 months and then motivate them to win another World Cup if they do do that, I think you have to pat, pat him on the back there and say, look, he's definitely up there, if not the best international manager we've seen, certainly one of them. Well, let's compare it to Wally Regregi, who's yet to lose. Um, he's done a remarkable job with this African side. How will he get his side set up to nullify this French attack, do you think, Tommy? I think it'll be more of the same. I don't think they'll... They've obviously got the template there that's been so effective in all their first games. And I think the foundation of their success, um, aside from a tactical setup, has been the energy they play with, you know, the way they hound the opposition... They never give them any time on the ball. You've seen, um, you know, the, their midfielders, the, the way that, you know, they, they've nullified, you know, Bruno Fernandes in the last game and players before that. I think that's going to be crucial for them. And I think that, the, obviously, we just touched on Griezmann. I think we're going to have to see, you know, Amrabat in the number six for Morocco. I think he's going to, if he has a good game against Griezmann, then they have a very good chance. And I think that's going to be a very interesting matchup in this game. But um, I think that, also, you know, the, the, the physical output that Morocco has put into all their games has been immense. And, you know, you can talk about the adrenaline, you know, giving you or making you feel, you know, fresh for the next game. But, you know, this far into a tournament, it has to have taken a toll. And obviously Jack talked about Croatia before and how, you know, the, the, the previous games is probably, this was probably one game too many for them. I can't help but feel like a similar thing might happen with Morocco and like we said, I've obviously been wrong heaps of times, so maybe that'll be wrong again. But I think that the 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 energy that they'll need to play with to nullify France will be too much. All right, let's get straight to it. Who is winning tomorrow and joining Argentina in the final? Tommy? France. Jack? Yeah, I'm going to go France as well. So you can probably say that means Morocco are going to get through. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Schwartzy? Who you got? Well, Morocco play France tomorrow night and or this evening, actually, my time. And oh, look, I have to say France. I, I've kept saying, I said that Spain would beat Morocco. I said Portugal would beat Morocco. And now I'm saying France will beat Morocco. Maybe it's a good omen for, for Morocco. Maybe they'll win again. I just don't see it happening in France. I think, I think France got their get-out-of-jail card um, or moment against, against England. And I don't think Morocco are of that same level. But I don't think France will allow that to happen again. I might be wrong. It won't be the first time in this World Cup, nor the last possibly. Um, <clears throat> but I think France just have too much quality all over the park and experience, know-how. I just don't think they're going to let it slip. I think they're going to be in the final. But I think I'm pretty brave in saying that because Morocco has proven everyone wrong to this moment in time. And they play with incredible heart, incredible enthusiasm, and that's what worries me. Uh, is it a game too far for them now as well? Um, Sice is probably out injured. There's a lot of weary, tired legs in that in that Moroccan side. 
Um, <clears throat> I just don't think they have enough in the tank to get past France. I think France have got plenty in their reserve still. Big squad, a lot of quality all throughout their squad. And I, they can afford to make changes where I don't think Morocco really can. So for that reason alone, I just think France will be too strong. Well, there you have it, all the predictions for tomorrow morning's second semi-final. Will it be France? Will it be Morocco? We'll just all have to wait and see. We will be back on the Gagan pod tomorrow as we have been every match day during the World Cup. Make sure you hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and rate us five stars while you're there. Tommy Orr, Mark Schwarzer, Jack Austin, thank you so much for your analysis time and obviously your predictions, which we will be able to bag you out about tomorrow one way or the <laughs> other. Looking forward to that. A reminder too that the WSL continues in the UK and all the games are live and exclusive on Optus Sport. I've been your host for today, Amy Duggan. Thanks for listening to The Gagan Pod. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.